Hello and welcome to Man on the Clapham Omnibus Sport Review. Today I'm going to do my first non-football podcast. I'm going to do a blueprint for English domestic cricket. Cricket's something I've been very passionate about ever since I was a kid. And summer holidays, turning on the TV and just being mesmerised by test cricket. One of the things I find probably the most frustrating about being a, a cricket tragic is that... Often there's this just sense of decline that seems to sort of permeate the, the sport, especially in this country. And I find it, I just don't believe that to be the case. Really, what I think it's linked to, and I think the 2005 Ashes, especially in this country, is probably the best example, is really the decline of national sporting events. So... In the past, which is where cricket spends a lot of its time, I think, emotionally, is that you have these um, these epochal events. So you've got the both the matches of 81, you've got body line, you've just got these deep, strong sense that there used to be huge crowds, you know, the millions of people watching at home or following on the radio, and that's just never going to happen again. And I think in some ways that is correct, but... That's just a change of society, change of technology. In other words, in 2005, you had cricket on domestic TV. You didn't have half as many people that had Sky. You didn't have tablets. You didn't really have smartphones. And the all of the key elements that made 2005 so amazing were just complete outliers and are really unlikely to ever occur again at the same time. You had a Australian cricket team that had been dominant for the best part of 10 years in all forms of the game. So one day, test match. And you also had a sense during that sort of late 90s, early 2000s, where Australian sports seemed to be at its zenith. So their rugby league team was fantastic. Their rugby union team was brilliant. You know, some, their Olympic athletes were you know, at times sweeping the board. So really for the man and woman on the street, there was this strong sense that Australia really were just this sporting dominant nation and that their facilities were better, that their weather was better and that, you know, you had the sort of disaster of the Atlanta 96 Olympics. You had the England test team that was in a mess. At times, the England rugby team underperforming. And so... What it came down to is in 2005 is you had a period when the England Test team started to come back. They started to sort of rise from the depth. And so for the, probably the, maybe the 18 months, maybe even two years before, there was a real sense that England could well, you know, the 2005 was going to be the best shot they had at it. You know, Australia probably declined maybe half, you know, half a notch and England had gone up a couple. And as a result, you had this fantastic cricketing you know, series. And to an extent, you could probably argue that maybe some of the success and aftermath of that wasn't utilised. But rather than look at it in a negative way, what I really want to say is is that what domestic cricket in this country needs is a narrative structure. So a way in which the ordinary fan can, I suppose, get back into cricket. Because I think what if you compare, let's say, to Rugby Union, is that the ECB has tried twice, three times, four times, six times as hard as the RFU in terms of trying to develop the game. You know, they've had T20 finals day. 
the creation of T20 itself. So T20's final days is at Edgbaston. So it's not at the Oval. It's not at Lords. You know, they've put money into the women's game. They've tried to promote that. You know, they play cricket all over. They've tried to develop the facilities. They've changed the structure of the tournament. They've tried to develop younger players. They've spent money... You know, on, on all sorts of different things. So they've tried everything. So they've, you know, rejigged the... They changed it from 40 overs to 50 overs. They've added Division 1, Division 2, all of this. And yet it doesn't seem to have <clears throat> really moved the needle in terms of how the game is perceived in the country as a whole. Whereby with rugby, they haven't... You know, the same amount of effort hasn't really gone in. Yes, they've restructured the Guinness Premiership, but in the end, really, what that's amounted to is you have a couple of semi-finals and a grand final at the end of the season at Twickenham. All England home games are always played at Twickenham. The only time they made an exception was when they hosted the Rugby World Cup. And the only reason they did that was simply because the International Rugby Board said you can't have England play every single one of their home games at Twickenham. That'd be ridiculous. You have to play somewhere else. So immediately, they decided to play one game outside of Twickenham, which was the last game of the pool stage against Uruguay, and they played at the City of Manchester Stadium. And obviously, they were, they, everyone knew that they were going to smash Uruguay by a cricket score, which they did, which meant really that it, it wasn't, that was never going to develop the game in Manchester. All it was was a, a day out for a fiver, and it guaranteed England win, but by that point they'd already been knocked out of the tournament anyway, so that really cut into how much success that that was ever going to have. So, what that really means is, why is rugby then got more of a, have a, almost a greater understanding for the man in the street? Really what it comes down to is the sense that you have a national sporting calendar. So basically when you think of a sport in this country, you have dates in your head. So you think, okay, tennis. Well, that's Wimbledon. That'll be the back end of June, July. And you have, obviously, Queens that starts a little bit before then as a precursor. You think of rugby, rugby union. Okay, so you know that you've got the Autumn International, so that's usually four games at Twickenham. First game is usually a lesser nation, so you talk about Romania, maybe Canada, possibly one of the you know, Pacific Island nations. And then you've got the, the sort of big three, so it'll be either Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and maybe Argentina. So really, and you know that's always going to be on a Saturday, always about 1.30, 2 o'clock kickoff, always on Sky Sports. And people, in a way, just know how to, where to go. So they know, okay, I can go shopping in the morning with the wife, and then spend a couple of hours in the pub watching the game, and that's it. And then the next part of it is, okay, so you've got the Six Nations, you know that's always going to be on ITV or BBC. You know, it's either a Friday night, Saturday, or a Sunday. And it's yeah, the same, always usually the same kickoff time. So you have the early game, the late game, and the late game on a Friday, and an early game on a Sunday. So people can really prepare, and so they know where to be and, and how to structure their lives around it. Same thing with football. So, you know, start of August, you've got the Charity Shield. You then have the league that goes from mid-August to early to mid-May. Cup finals usually after that. Every four years you have a World Cup. Every four years you have a European Championship. And it's easy to understand. So you know with football that you've got the early game on a Saturday, late game on a Saturday, and possibly two or three games on a Sunday. Same thing with the NFL. You know that there is Sunday starts at 1 o'clock in American time, and you have Sunday night, a Monday night game, and a Thursday night game. 
what cricket, in all the effort they've done to try and develop the game and trying to increase interest, what they have lost is that time in the calendar. So in other words, previously you say, okay, I know when the 50-over tournament's going to end. It usually ends start, usually, what was it, late August, early September, and that'd be a final at Lords that would be televised domestically. Okay, we know that it's, you've got, let's say, six test matches, last test matches at the Oval, usually one of the first ones is at Lords, and it's the same four or five venues, and it's, you know, always starts on Tuesday, ends on a Monday, and all of that has been really lost in translation. That's, and so what, that's what domestic cricket needs as a starting point, which will then help the international game, because really, if you're going to compare cricket to anything, it's its kissing cousin baseball. So there's, there's so much similarities, and also similarity of attitude, is that there's, even in baseball now, there's a sense of, well, well, it, it's ageing, you know, the, the, the national television ratings for the All-Star game and the World Series is declining. And it really does feed into a podcast that I'm going to do later, is really the sort of decline of national sporting events. And, but what baseball has done is it's been able to make adjustments that mean that while it, you're never going to have maybe 40 million people watching a World Series as you did in the 1970s, is that when you have great moments, which, you know, like the 2005 Ashes, they're better able to utilise them and to use that to expand the game as a whole. So really with baseball, what you have is you have the minor leagues, that is basically the development leagues, that which then feed into the majors. So the majors has national appeal. So yeah. You have Chicago, New York, LA, Boston, all of the big cities are really represented and it's followed at a national level, whereby minor league baseball, it's in a lot of the smaller cities. So in other words, what you have is Charlotte has you know, Charlotte in Carolina, that has a team. And really what minor league baseball offers is that it's not trying to compete with the big leagues, but what it is, is offering local baseball really. So in other words, if you live three states away from the nearest major league team or a six-hour drive or a three-hour plane ride, you can go to a AAA stadium, you can go, and it's a nice stadium, and they, they make more... They, it's, it's in some ways a little bit quirky, so they have bring your dog to the ballpark night, they have free t-shirts or dollar hot dogs, dollar beer night, those kind of things, which is basically a way of un understanding that maybe not every single person walking into the stadium is a, a cricket oh sorry baseball diehard but it's a way of it's a good night out and it's a way of you know it's a community exercise and that really is basically what county cricket is it's a development league it's local and it's not really got a national imprint whereby the international game so t20s you know, test matches 50 over world cups that has a national standing so to start, I'm really going to look at the, the county championship. And I think there's a massive problem with, with the coverage, is that there, there is really no middle ground. Basically, what you have is, so you have the two divisions, one team, the second division has ten teams, the top division have eight teams, you have two go down, two go up, and you have the champions from the division one. They all play four-day four games. Look at the, the actual coverage. You've got no middle ground, really. So either you've got, let's say, the Cricket Info match reports, and they're partly subsidised by the English ECB, the English Cricket Board. And they're sort of 750 words to, to, to 1,500, and they're beautifully written. And that's for each day of, of the game and for all of the games. 
So if you were to go through each, let's say you've got nine games going at a time, so four days, and so really it's a huge amount of reading if you wanted to go through all of them. The the only other really option is you have sort of like brief roundup. So each day they say, okay, Monday, this, this, and this happened in all of the games. And it's more, I suppose, what, maybe 250, maybe to 500 words. So really either you've got this option of this huge, beautiful match report, or you have really a who, what, when. But there's not much else. There's no middle ground. So there's not like a, a cricket show where you can list, watch it for 20 minutes, see all the highlights of what's gone on with a bit of analysis. A bit like um, what they do for baseball. So you have something like ESPN's Baseball Tonight. So you have highlights, analysis, plays of the day, bit of debate, and it's 30 minutes. And sometimes what they do is they put the show on while the games are going on. And so you can have sort of in-game, in-show highlights. And it's in prime time. And it's repeated the next day. Which is what cricket doesn't have. Really, all that you have if you want to watch county is that you get sort of these two, three, four minute snippets, and you're know, posted sometimes by the ECB, sometimes by the county themselves. But it's not particularly, you know, so there's no commentary. It's just, you know, there's only a couple of camera angles. It doesn't jump. It doesn't allow the ordinary fan or the casual fan to get engaged because the casual fan doesn't really have time to read all of the match reports on ESPN Cricket Info. And there's not really enough in these brief kind of roundups to really capture your imagination. It really is just a, this is what happened in, two, you know, and each game has maybe two or three sentences. And, you know, your average cricket fan, your average, you know, casual cricket fan isn't really going to get particularly jazzed by two, two, three, four minutes of random highlights with, with no overriding narration to it. So there's no one saying, ah, well, James Vince has got 100 and he's now, you know, averaging 70 for the season and we think he's close to a call-up. There, there's not, none of that. So that there's no way for the person who's going, got an hour and a half commute to sit there and for half an hour on his phone or tablet hear about the, the previous day's action in the county championship. And so as a result, that's why it can be very difficult to really get people interested. Because it's they don't have the time to research and find out who's good, who's bad. You know, all they're going to get is really the only time people are getting that interested in counties is when England don't have an opener or England need a spinner or another fast bowler. And then they will just read the national coverage or say, OK, we think Toby Rowland-Jones should have a call-up or... Well, Mark, you know, a couple of years ago when Mark Fittick got a load of wickets for Derby, and people said, OK, he's left left arm, bit of pace, that could be the, the answer. Whereby, so as a result, and this is the problem, and I think it was really highlighted by the end of last season, when you had this dramatic end to the county championship, and for the first time probably in maybe, I'd say five, ten years, there was a real national sort of buzz about it, because it came down to Somerset, Middlesex and Yorkshire and uh, Middlesex and Yorkshire were playing against each other and it was that dramatic final day and you know Middlesex won the county championship for the first time in, in a lot of about 20 years but what it was is they were saying oh isn't it fantastic and there should be more times when there's 10,000 people at Lords but the problem was is that the actual structure of the to- of the county championship doesn't really allow for it because how often are you going to get... Because usually if you have a division like that, you're, you're going to have more years than not where there's just one team that's really dominant and wins it. So it's very rare to get two or three teams, you know, all you know, within a few points of each other, all possibilities being open going into the last day of the season. So what it shows you is that there is that potential. 
but what you have to do is that you have to make the structure work. So in other words, the classic example is like the, the championship. In adding the playoffs, what they've worked out is, is that if you just had three up and the top three go, is that usually you'd have two or three teams are better than everybody else. So there wouldn't be an excitement. Whereby the playoffs isn't fair, it's exciting because it allows the teams who are down in 10th, 11th, 12th, to dream that if they win five or six games, they can then push up. And then you have appointment television viewing, the playoff finals, because it's 150 million, 250 million on one game of football. And that's really what cricket needs to embrace, much in the same way that baseball has. So baseball basically have developed MLB Advanced Media, and it was the way that they have now got the technology which allows every single game that's played at the major league level to be streamed online, and you can buy it. So I, I basically spend about 100 and... Actually, just over 100 quid, and I can see all 2,432 major league games and the pl- playoffs. So, and all I do is I have an app on my iPad, click on it, and I can choose whichever game I want, and there's commentary, all the mod cons, and eventually it's become so successful that all the other sports are using MLB to do their own streaming, and I think that's really what cricket needs to start embracing, and if that's in, you know, with Sky Sports as well, because I know that they have the television contract, but that's really what they need, is that they need to find a way that you can basically have streaming because that's really the future it's not going to be in people having set-top boxes and you know dishes on the side of their house it's going to be far more people on their phone people on their ipads even yeah phones and all the rest of what that entails and the better that you are able to deal with that the more likely the game's going to sort of survive and thrive in that sense so this is the structure that i would propose for the county championship I would split it into two conferences, County Championship North of nine teams, the County Championship South of nine teams. Now, if you look at the counties, the 18 counties on a map of the country, and if you split it halfway down the middle, North has nine teams, South has nine teams, it kind of works. And they would play home and away, 16 games, four days, four day games. And the conference winner would automatically have be at home for the divisional final. Second place team automatic home divisional semi-final third place team would be the wild card automatic away semi-final berth so really and this is where i think the split to two divisions it has worked but in some ways it's been a bit counterintuitive in other words what you what they wanted was the best players you know playing against each other at the highest level which would then you know better prepare them for international cricket and I think in the last three or four years it's not quite it it's declining in the sense that we've had all of the issues with openers so all of these openers have done quite well at county they've then gone up to the test match level and none of them have really thrived for any sort of period of time and you've had the sort of James Vince situation where it seems that they're is basically a middle level, and it, it's something that England Lions cricket hasn't really sort of solved, is that there's no way at the moment that current structure allows for the, to bridge the gap between the counties and test matches. And really, what I would say the advantage of having a playoff scenario is, is that there really is. So in other words, you have five games, but they are only played by the top 
six teams that are in the county championship. So they're going to be the best. It's going to have more of a television. There's going to be, you know, hopefully larger crowds. So as a result, that is a better way. And what you're going to have, by having the playoffs in September, so when, you know, pretty much the test match season is finished, is that it, it gives a defined place for domestic cricket in the sporting calendar. There's only going to be five games. There's only going to be 20 days of cricket. It's not going to be onerous, which is pretty much what some people say about the NBA basketball playoffs. That they just go on for almost two months. The same thing that they sort of say about the NHL Stanley Cup playoffs. Is that it's quite short, short, sharp, and to the point. And really, you would have the potential that you'd have so top-level foreign players you'd have the potential for England internationals. So for those people that are you know, playing for the top counties in the playoffs, is that that is a way, that's a yardstick of measuring how good they are in a pressurised situation. And on the more sort of commercial aspect of it, I think by having 33% of the teams reach the post-season, what that then allows is that that you give hope, and whereby I think what the downside of having the second division is, is that... Like this year, you've got really two or three teams in the second division who are just miles better than the rest. Which then means that for the, all those teams from you know, sort of ninth, sorry, tenth, ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth, their season's been over you know in terms of four day cricket remarkably early. And the thing is, is that there's no real benefit in terms of developing players because if like Leicester, when you've developed Stuart Broad, when you've developed Taylor, James Taylor, they stayed for a couple of years, weren't able to move Leicestershire up any further than they were previously, and because they wanted to have England careers and move on with their careers, naturally they would then just go to Nottinghamshire, bigger club, you know, more chance of staying in the first division. And what the first division has ended up becoming is really you need a test ground, you need to have, you know, quite a large financial sort of large pockets, and even, you know, in some cases, you know, development. So, in other words, you're able to put more money into it, you're able to get more fans. You know, Surrey's a classic example, but even Yorkshire to an extent, you know, Middlesex, though Hampshire, teams that have basically money to really supersede any kind of, you know, development advantage that anyone in the second division has. Whereby, under, you know, this principle, is that the largest jump that you have to make would be literally ninth to third, fourth, or fifth. Because if you're fifth, you're going to be there or thereabouts. And whereby, if you were to start at the bottom in Division 2, you have to go up eight places just to get promoted. Not only that, you then have to go up to a whole other level whereby you're competing against teams with more money, better supported, better development structures in certain respects, especially with teams like Surrey, who are able to you know get foreign players to come in in terms of Kumar Tankakara, but they're able, even in developmental sense, you know, Chris Jordan being a good example. And then you have to try and stay there. And, okay, so if you manage to survive relegation, you still then have five or six more teams get up to just to be in contention for the title. So that that's that's almost impossible. You, know, you can, you know, make that kind of jump in one player's career. It takes generations. Whereby, at least with my one, there's more impotence, more impetus to actually say well actually we can get up three or four places which means we're then in you know we are down the stretch 
we can go for the plus. There is a viable opportunity. And that you can then offer that to players, you know, younger players. To say, actually, if you stay here and, and in two or three years' time, we can then be in the playoffs. And that can then be a springboard onto England and international honours and domestic glory. Which the current one doesn't really offer. Really what it says is you have to go to one of the bigger clubs with a test match ground to really be noticed. I think Mark Stoneman's a good example of that in his recent call-up. Now I'm aware that there there are some downsides. And I think there's a couple of ways that you could get around that. Is that you could have some potential for conference realignment if you teams in effect got bored of playing each other. So you can move Glamorgan into the north. You can let's say move... Leicestershire down south for a couple of seasons and you know even if you wanted to if you wanted to expand it for more than 16 games you can have a 17th game of interleague so each year you play someone from a different conference I think that does that is an option what you're looking for is you're looking to create drama so that the ideal situation would be having Lancashire and Yorkshire battling out to fit into the top three so that they can then, so that you have a situation, maybe a conference final is Lancashire versus Yorkshire. You know, that's going to have a, it may not have much of an interest, it will have an element of interest, you know, at a national level. But at a domestic level, that's going to get interest, that's going to get, you know, people turning up and interested. Because you always get, you know, decent attendances for Yorkshire versus Lancashire in the county championship. But can you imagine a game where there's something desperately on it? You know, a chance to go to Lords, a chance for a glory, a chance to get to the grand final. And that then filters into the different counties. So in other words, if you're Glamorgan and, you know, from in August and September, you're battling for the playoffs. That allows you know, everyone in that local area, the Cardiff area, to start getting interested to say, OK, we could get into the playoffs. You know, same thing can happen. You know, and so you're, you're basically trying to stimulate interest because people like going... You know, people like bandwagon. You know, they like getting, you know, watching a successful team where there's excitement and potential for glory, which really the current county championship structure doesn't really allow because you don't, because unless you have these once in a sort of blue moon situations where there's two or three teams. But even last season, even when it was, you know, quite interesting, it was only really of, of huge interest if you were Middlesex, Somerset, or Yorkshire. You need to expand that. You need. You know, not only the three teams in the playoffs spots, so that's six teams, but the four or five teams who are going to be on the edge. And so as a result, you know, um, this is what I would do as well, is to add a trading deadline date. So July 31st, so basically up until then, you know, you can have two overseas players, and by the 31st, you can then have up to four. So basically, if your team is going, wanting to go down the stretch, and they need, they want something to really kick them on. And let's say you want a spinner or a fast bowler, batsman, whatever. You can basically have them eligible to play on the 1st of August. However, basically for each, for, for the third foreign player, you have to voluntarily submit five names to the ECB of players under 23 who you are accepting could be drafted by one of the lower teams. And the fourth one is involuntary. So in other words, if you want four foreign players, you have to lose at least two under 23 players in your squad. So how I would work it is almost a little bit in like in the draft list. So in other words, yeah, eligible to be drafted by the bottom three counties in the conference. 
So if you're the ninth team, place team, you would have first claim if one of the top place team or the fourth place team try and get more players. If you're the eighth team, you'd get the second claim. So it would be the second place or the fifth place team if they're adding anyone. And if you're seventh, the third claim, you'd have either the third place or the sixth place team. You can then... So it's a way of basically... So it really has sort of a dual purpose of getting younger players playing at teams where they can develop and really giving those teams at the bottom more of a chance to build something. A bit like the Tampa Bay Rays in baseball. For about 10 years into their creation, they'd always finish bottom in the AL East, so the American League East. And the problem was is that you had the New York Yankees and Boston Red Sox in that division. And they are huge, big-spending teams who have been successful. So as a result, it was very difficult for the you know, Tampa Bay Rays to get anywhere. And it's only eventually when they started drafting and you know, getting a younger base of player that they were then able to develop. And within the two or three years, they were competing. They, they went to a World Series, which is what the current structure in county cricket doesn't really offer. I mean, really, in certain respects, the second division you know, has a decent record of player development, but... In the end, the reason detriment of being in the second division is to get out. As, as a result, really what you're looking for is experienced players who can you can guarantee will get you the runs and the wickets to get you the wins to then push you up and get you into the you know first division. So in other words, there's no real point if you're 7th, 8th in that division to then really develop players because it's it makes it that much harder whereby... So what you're really trying to get at is where you have great foreign players playing in the county championship, which will help develop our talent. But at the same time, not to the stage where you're getting to maybe like the 1980s, where every, a lot of teams had four, five, six foreign players, and it made it that much harder to really develop young talent. So really, every time that a great foreign player is added over the you know two mandatory... Well, is that you get the best of both worlds. Is that whenever there's a, an extra foreign player added to the county championship, a younger player then gets an opportunity to play. And the more that you have these t teams at the bottom really trying to moneyball their way to success. So if that, even if that's a stage of getting two or three cold plaque you know, veterans, knowing that they can push your team on a bit more, but if they don't get you into the top five and into... And competing for the playoffs is that you can then you know trade them up to the you know teams in the top five so that because they're competing and so as a result you can say okay I will trade you Mark Cosgrove because he's averaging fifty but we're probably not going to make the playoffs this year. However, you can then give me you know one of your younger players because you, he's not going to play and we can then you know you can then offer him game time. And a way that, you know, in two or three years, if you get enough young batsmen and you get enough young bowlers, is that if you're then maybe finishing fourth or fifth or sixth, you can then say, OK, for next year, we can then really put some more money into getting a couple of you know really good foreign pros because they might be the thing that will knock us over the edge and then into, you know, playoff contention. I think what also probably needs to be looked at is the, the things like tour matches. I think tour matches... in Certain places, you know, like Essex and Kent can be really successful. You can get, you know, Full House. But that's usually if you've got, you know, a 
Australia or maybe in India. And I think we're really missing a trick here in English cricket is that you, you need to have some element of pizzazz to it. Something that will get the average cricket fan on the average casual fan, sports fan, interested. And I think something like an all-star game would be a fantastic opportunity. You know, from a commercial standpoint and also from a competitive standpoint. So basically, if you, you'd have two all-star games per year, you'd have a North Conference and a South Conference all-star game. And that would be against the two touring teams coming to England that summer. So you'd start with a four-day event. So Thursday night would be a T20 match in the evening between the Conference All-Stars, so that's, and I'll get into how you would select that, and the touring nation. You then have a three-day tour match, sat Friday through to Sunday, and on the Saturday night you'd, let's say, have a women's T20 international. So you'd be able to show the games online, maybe terrestrial, maybe Skype. And what you would then have is, is that you'd have the venues rotating. So let's say you're talking about the South. Now, obviously, every single year, Lords and the Oval are basically guaranteed a test match. So the other seven main you know, county grounds would then alternate. So every seven years, you would host an all-star weekend, essentially. And you'd have... And so it's something that would be rare enough, but also wouldn't be, wouldn't be too common. So let's say you're talking about Bristol, Taunton, Hove, Chelmsford. Places which don't get much international cricket, don't get many big games. And as a result, it's easy to sell out. Because you're, you're saying not only are you going to have a couple of your own local boys. So really what you say in an all-star game, usually you have at least one representative from all of the conference. You then allow some element of fan voting. So you'd then be able to have counties using, you know, marketing. Like, okay, let's say vote for James Hildreth to get into the all-star team. And that's a way of engaging fans. You can then have things like postal ballots. So at the ground, you know, whenever the, the members and the, you know, the older generation, they can fill out their ballot for who they think should be in the All-Star game. And so that's, you, you've, you're using, you know, you can use online, social media, but you can use ballots. So in other words, you just have a load of ballots at the ground. People fill out as many as they want. And, you know, it's something engaging people. And it's also basically improving the standard of, Tour matches because a lot of tour matches now are you, you've got you know second eleven players played in you know midweek in with no crowd whereby at least you've got the sense that you're playing international players you've got a high standard so the best players in that conference you can then England can use that so the England selectors can basically pick for, let's say four or five people for the overall squad and they can pick young British English talent who can then are playing in front of a full house against you know, an international attack, that is a way of really auditioning people. And so, and then obviously in the North, what you can then do is you can then, you can use the Northern All-Star Game, not only as a way to, you know, take, you know, international elements of international cricket to places like Derby and Leicester and Grace Road, but also to use it as a way of covering for the fact that if you're only going to go down to six test matches a summer, that you're always going to have two or three grounds, mainly northern grounds, missing out. So instead of having a situation of saying, OK, well, Trent Bridge misses out this summer and maybe in a couple of years gets another test match, you can say, OK, well, they can have the All-Star game. So Old Trafford can have that, Headingley can have that. And that's a way that you can get 10,000, 15,000 people coming to watch because it is televised, because you know, the, ch the tickets will be, let's say, cheaper than... 
a, you know, a standard test match. But at the same time, what you have is you end up with top-level international cricketers and the best domestic players in, you know, playing you know, effectively what you would expect high-class cricket. Because let's face it, no touring team wants to lose in front of 10,000 people. And really what you can also do is you, it allows, you know, because it's only once every seven or eight years, you know, the counties can use it to market themselves. You can have things, you know, basically call it like a festival of cricket. You can have skills events, you know, like boundary catching, six hitting contests, a way that, you know, can get younger fans interested because, you know, making them watch a whole, you know, 90 overs can be difficult. But if you can say, OK, well, we're going to have, you know, during the break, you know, six hitting. So you get the best six or seven or eight hitters facing off against you to say who can hit the most sixes in, you know, two minutes. You know, a bit like the, you know, home run derby. That can be something that can go viral if you've got Ben Stokes hitting 30 or 40, you know, in the space of four or five minutes. That's something that can you can put on YouTube, that you can stream live, that can get more people watching the game. And also, not only that, you're, you're expanding the elements of local. So you're bringing international cricket high class locally. And you're improving the overall play because you're giving you know some of these you know the next cab off the rank an opportunity that's going to be much more much more like international cricket than maybe England Lions cricket. So I'm now going to sort of talk about the Royal London One Day Cup. I think what you can use the Royal One. I wouldn't make that many changes to it. I think the moving the final from September to July. I think that's a, a pretty solid idea. I think having a final in Lords with glowing sunshine is better than sort of these dreary overcast days that we've had in probably the last sort of four or five years. But what I would do is I would use the Royal London One Day Cup to re-establish the links between sort of the counties and the club games and the minor counties. Because so I think historically that you know there were times when you know the fifty, sixty over games you would have it would be more like the FA Cup, so you'd have minor counties. The classic example is uh, Steve Grisovich, the long time Coventry goalkeeper, getting Viv Riches out in a Gillette Cup match. Although the funny thing is is that it was given as a no ball but detail so what i would do is that i would add a extra round so you, at the moment you've got basically the group stages quarters semis final what i would do is i would have add before that the first round proper so what i would allow is all the top club sides minor counties to battle for 18 spots for the first round proper a bit like the fa cup first round so in the fa cup you have the four qualifying rounds of which then gets you to the first round, at which point the conference teams and the sort of div teams from Division 3, they start entering the tournament. So really, what I'm trying to achieve here is that there's a developmental basis. So in other words, you're allowing second team players and young players who, you know, wouldn't get the opportunity in the Royal one, London One Day Cup is that they can play for their club side or a minor county in the qualifying rounds. And effectively, I want to add the magic of the FA Cup, which is something, you know, in other words, things like cup fever. So it's a way that you can sell cheap tickets to families. You can televise the first round draw. You know, it's played on the same weekend every year. So what that allows is, is that that then puts cricket back into the sporting calendar and it's all about you know domestic cricket having times you know maximizing when there isn't football so in other words if you have the playoffs for the county championship 
in September. You, you always have international breaks. The football season hasn't really got started. So as a result, there, it's a lot easier to say, OK, you have a choice between top-class cricket, you know, that's being played for all the marbles, or the second or third game of the season that, that you've already, you know, and a friendly or a qualifying game for England and Scotland and Ireland and all the rest that isn't particularly interesting. So it's like England versus Slovakia. Or you could have, okay, Middlesex versus Yorkshire in the final. It's that kind of different. It's And if you have, let's say, the first round proper of the Royal London One Day Cup, let's say in June, most years, unless there's a World Cup, there's not going to be much else on. You know, if you do it just before Wimbledon, you've, you've got a chance for cricket to have one weekend in the year where there's more focus on it because it's easier for you know, the media to say, OK, if there's no football, there's no rugby and there's no tennis, uh, but there's a load of cricket going on and you can talk about the stories. So in other words, you can say, OK, uh, the idea of the Milkman versus the England International. So that you've got these four sort of qualifying rounds, which basically allows you to, you know, essentially you know, get rid of some of the chaff, but be left with so that you have some form of competitive first round. So in other words, but you're still giving the opportunity for club players if, if their t- team wants to enter the tournament to say we're only four games away from playing at Headingley. We're only four games away from playing at Lords or the Oval. And it's giving that kind of dream and that acknowledgement of how important the club club and minor counties game is to cricket in general and how they develop talent there is some drawbacks obviously if but and i would probably say that the ecb would have to provide effectively an emergency fund you know to cover some of the losses if a championship side is knocked out but the flip side of it would be is that you'd have the the chance of a shock so in other words you know let's say some you know really shit hot you know, village team beating Yorkshire or knocking someone out or, you know, the possibility. You know, it's the idea of trying to, you know, give a second chance to rejected players, you know, to create a cricket body. And it's an easy media narrative. So in other words, some beautiful place, you know, and or a famous cr- you know, cricket club gets through to the, you know, the first round proper is that that allows the media to turn up and to interview some of the quirky people and to, you know, really show a spotlight on the domestic game that doesn't really get that. Because, you know, most cricket is, you know, international. Most of it is, you know, all, all at the big grounds. So it does add a bit of excitement and a bit of differentiation. You know, it's the idea of trying to create, you know, cup fever in villages and towns. To really, you know, effectively link all the, part, all the constituent parts of, you know, English cricket. So the development side of it. So maybe, you know, someone you know, who's been rejected or who's been overlooked, you know, re-establishing their career by going on a magical cup run and then, you know, getting to a county and possibly even them playing for England. That would be, you know, the ultimate, you know, win-win, wouldn't it? Is that you'd have a way of cricket, you know, selling itself and creating a, a romantic narrative. And because it is a romantic game at heart. You know, it's something that you do for love because it is, you know, it requires concentration, devotion, and even, you know, just turning up on a Saturday, you know, to play, you know, 35 overs, you know, and to have that acknowledgement that the professional game is still linked to that, I think that has some things to offer. To finish, I'm going to sort of talk about T20 and really then add a conclusion on top of that. I think the main aim with T20 at the moment 
is to really establish a link between the T20 Blast and the new franchise T20 tournament. I think there's been a lot of talk saying that really having two T20 tournaments is, you know, unlikely and it already, you know, in an already congested cricket calendar. And I can see where they're coming from, but I, I, I see, I see more value in having two T Twenty tournaments than just one, because I, I think with, there's, t- I think in certain respects there's too much focus really on the, big bash, because. I can see why the Big Bash looks so seductive, because you've only got a limited amount of games, limited amount of teams, but that's Australia, and that structure is perfect for Australia, because they've only you know got a handful of big cities, so you can have two teams, which then creates an, an instantaneous rivalry. You, know, you, you would then, sort of in effect, piggyback on the grounds that were already there. So you would always have, you know, and they're... And you had the perfect time space to do it, you know, and the weather would be perfect. As a result, it's very seductive, and I think that's where the the ECB is thinking we can do something similar. And I don't think that's ever really going to be fully the case because it doesn't quite work that easy. So okay, let's say most of these franchises are going to be based at the Test, so there's going to be huge parts of the country that aren't going to be served by T Twenty cricket. And even if you have a few of the games on domestic TV, that's still that's still limiting. Whereby I think what it's more important to focus on what the blast does well. So it's a national competition. So in other words, you know, wherever you are in a country, you're usually within at least, you know, two to three hours drive of a T twenty ground. You know, it promotes cricket all across the country, not just in the main cities. You know, it's got the history, so you've got all of the counties. It's got rivalry, so you've got Gloucester, Somerset. Middlesex, Surrey, you know, Lancashire, Yorkshire, all of the Midlands, you know, their kind of internal rivalry. And that's what it does. And it's got and it has had lots of success in terms of tickets sold and you know, you've got the final day, which I think has been a really good success. What it hasn't done is that it's not been uh, hugely effective at really promoting the sport to newcomers. And it's not really as commercially successful as the IPL and the Big Bash. And it's not quite as easy uh, to attract the sort of top international players. And that's not all necessarily the fault of, of the blast. But I think all of those three things are going to be really and effectively remedied by the new franchise system. In the sense that, you know, the because the franchise is going to be played in a block, that's easier to top, to, you know, it's going to be easier to attract international players. Because it's going to have a lot of the... The premises that made the big bash quite successful. So in other words, limited amount of games, you know, tournament structure, you know, to only a handful of group games before you then get to the business end of the tournament, and because it's going to have, you know, it's going to be, and because it's going to be played during the summer holidays when the weather effectively should be at its best. Fingers crossed. Touch. We'll be talking about England after all, but what the franchise tournament can't do is all of the things that I've talked about. It doesn't have the history. It doesn't have the same level of rivalries. It's not necessarily going to be as affordable or as easy to get to. So I think you can have both. But what what the fear, I think, is is that the blast becomes a bit of an irrelevance because people just want to watch the premium you know, version, which is going to be shorter, more compact, probably going to be an easier sell to the casuals. 
but at the same time, what you're then doing is you're just damming a nose up of all the people that spent years and years going down to Taunton, going down to Bristol, all you know, Durham, and all the other places, and some of the outgrounds, and putting in their time and effort to support. So what I would do is I would really essentially marry the two up. I would have the, the winner of the Blast enter the franchise tournament so that you're differentiating it from the IPL, the Big Bash. And you're not disenfranchising the fans and the counties that don't have a test ground or you know don't have the possibility to have a test ground. And it gives you the Blast meaning. So in other words, we all want to, you know, in a, and it's a financial incentive as well. You're basically saying to these counties, if you win, you get to play with the, you know, you know, on national television. You get to, you know, play up against the best players. And it's an opportunity for the domestic players and the clubs to say, well, we're just as good as some of these franchises. And it, it kind of, it does give you not only a narrative, but it also gives you an element of dramatic tension. In other words, what happens if, you know, a domestic team were to be better than a franchise because the domestic team would have some advantages in terms of you know, being togetherness whereby a franchise is going to be, relatively speaking, a, a bunch of strangers cobbled together into an outfit. And, I mean, the, the, I would ask the question whether, you know, because I think the finals day, whether the finals day would work better in the franchise or whether it worked better for the Blast, I personally think the Blast, personally but i can see you know advantages to both but whereby i think if you're going to have semi-finals and finals probably the franchise tournament would be better because that then maximizes it so you could have you know friday saturdays you know you can maximize your sort of television viewership for that so really to to conclude every single constituent bit of what makes domestic english cricket good it, it can be I wouldn't say improved upon, but it can be sharpened so the narrative is better. So the ability for the casual fan to know when domestic cricket is going to be on. And it makes it easier for television companies. So, okay, we're not... Because you know, I, th- I think in over the last few years, you've had a situation where some elements of the county game have been shown live, but it's always been a random game that's you know middle of the season that didn't have a tremendous amount riding on it. So it was hard for the casual fan to say, well, why am I watching Yorkshire versus Nottinghamshire halfway through the tournament? I have, I don't know what's gone on before. I don't really know what's going to happen afterwards. Whereby at least if you were have a playoff structure, you can say, okay, well, we'll show those four or five games. Because if you're the casual viewer, you know that there's something riding on it. It's a semi-final, final, the grand final. And at each step, you know, what, my, what I want my blueprint to say to people is, is that it's focusing on getting more people involved but it's at the same time is developing English cricket so that the English domestic game underpins the national game so that if you would ever have something similar to let's say the 2005 Ashes you would have it would be easier for the casual fan to get involved because that's really what the so domestic cricket is a local sport and that's not a bad thing because it has some of the advantages that the the Premier League doesn't. The Premier League has has to be big, you know, It has to be all you know about money and about you know stadiums. Whereby the the domestic game can be far more open. It can be more open to you know, It can be cheaper. But you you have to still at the same time have some element of narrative so that the structure produces domestic cricketers playing at their best with the most riding on it. And that, you know, with the 50 over game, you want some link to the... I, th- I think there's some 
you want the professional game to be able to acknowledge and to have some link with the club game, which is just an, really an unsung part of it, and the minor counties that never get any kind of national moment. Even if it's just one fifty over weekend on a Saturday and a Sunday in a year, that will be, for some people, the, the highlight of their careers, and it can put places on the map. I think with T20, what you want is you need franchise cricket to get more women, more children, to get more people in the country, even if it's watching two or three T20 games a year, but also at the same time not leaving behind the stalwarts and the people that have made cricket what it is, all around these the heartlands, rather than just focusing on the big cities. And at the end of the day, you also want you know cricket to be able to... There's been more fans, more engagement, which then means that there's it allows when England does well in you know, World Cups and at Test level, there to be more more of a more groundwork done to get more people involved. So that if you ever have a redux of the two thousand and five Ashes, it will it would allow more people to get involved because they're already involved in you know watching more domestic cricket, more appreciation for it. But also then that forces it. I mean a lot of the time I think with elements of you know cricket fans and even to a little latter extent in the media, there's always a sense that everyone's always criticizing the ECB, but they're always demanding a top down response. Whereby I think that at some point, you know, the grassroots does need to sort of rise up and make their point. So that, you know, because you know, to make a difference. But the ECB on their side they have to be more involved in trying to expand cricket in terms of using new technology so that you know cricket is able to relate well to a modern generation that is going to be mainly based on the internet, that isn't going to be analogue and television based. Because I think things like having online shows so that it's a easy for people to get involved. Even things as really silly, one of my classic examples would be if you were to have, you know, once in a while big screens in telev in train stations you know just basically showing you the score you know over by over updates because what you end up is is you have thousands of people who are vaguely interested in cricket who aren't really following the test matches but if you see that on a big screen even if it's like highlights from the day's play even if it's 2 minutes on a loop and then you get on the train at Waterloo or Euston and you're going 20 minutes down the line you might think okay well actually route's nearly nearing 100 and you know what I'll stop off at the pub, I will then you know watch a couple of things. Then maybe the next day I'll follow it online or I'll you know watch it on TV. It's those little bits and pieces whereby you're you're making it easy for the person at home to get involved to watch, you know, so that it's not having to go through you know looking at the county table and trying to work out who's going to get relegated or not or who's you know near the top or how many points there is per game. Where they say, okay, if you finish in the top three, you're going on to September. And the playoffs, you know, if you win the T20 Blast, you will be on national television. It's that kind of simplicity that I think will really, you know, give cricket a chance to be relevant into the modern era. Thanks a lot.